Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. Amen. Amen. Wow. Some of you who know me know I'm a crier and this man's got me crying on the backside of the stage already, man. God is, God is so good. God is so good to reveal things three years later, seeds that you never really knew you planted for sure until the fruit of the harvest begins to reveal itself in a way you never expected. A dream that you might have had from long ago that begins to come into fruition in a place that you didn't think it would happen, in an education setting, a school in California, allowing a move of God like this, a dream to come alive like this is an honor and all glory and praise needs to be given to God for what God is doing in this house, what you are a part of. Whether you've been part of the interest sessions or this is your first Sunday here, what you are a part of is already a move of God, a dream coming alive in this place. And I hope you know that. I don't just throw that out lightly. In the experience that I've had in ministry, having been a grand preacher's kid and a preacher's kid and having served in ministry here in Cali, what you are experiencing is truly phenomenal. Not because of the facility, not because of all this, but because of the hearts and the hands behind it. And I want to honor first and foremost God for this privilege and this opportunity. I want to thank God for Pastor Joe and the worship team. Can you, can you hear me out on that? I want to honor and thank Pastor Sam at the South Campus for his leadership in his hands and allowing this to be an expression and a continuation of the worship that's down there. Some of you being a part of that church, formerly the organization, and being a part of this community is truly a blessing of God. And of course, I want to thank you, Pastor Josh. In the hours, in the plethora of hours that I've known him and in the conversations that I've had with him, these are the words that came to my heart and my mind. You have a brilliant mind and a beautiful heart. And that's power. Shepherd to shepherd. You're in good hands. Those of you who are already behind the scenes know that. Those of you who are here, you'd be in good hands. God is faithful. God is so faithful. It is such an honor to be with you over here from, from Houston, Texas. The weather may be a little gloomy outside, but I tell you, this is relief relative to Houston, Texas. I mean, the humidity is so bad. Like, in Texas, these are skinny jeans. Like, I was, I was, I was these are skinny jeans. They're so humid. It sticks to you. Over here, I'm sagging, man. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. It's an honor to be here. Y'all can remain standing. I'm about to read the word of God, but I also want you uh, to honor my family. I've got a pic of my family here that we're about to show, and my wife, Denise, and my son, Elijah, who's four. I know many of you know them from, from, from the ministry days here. They are incredible. I believe Josh is about to pull that off a different Josh. Isn't that crazy? Like three years. I wanted to honor them and thank God for, for them and for my wife holding it down back in Houston while I have the privilege of being here. As part of this series, Dream Again, Pastor Josh gave me the, the, the synopsis. And actually, he gave me a synopsis, but I did something even greater that I, if you haven't done already, if you've skipped a beat 
from coming here or you haven't been here before, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to the podcast. This series is to coin a phrase that might even be a little outdated. It's fire. It's pretty fuego, y'all. But what he has been doing through this Dream Again series is pretty phenomenal to walk us through the story of the Israelites primarily through Moses and what it means to have been God's chosen people and to given Moses a dream and for Moses have to, to, to have to overcome the negative thoughts inside and then the negative thoughts of those around you and understanding who's in your inner circle. And then last week, the dilemma of the desert and understanding that the wilderness is not punishment. It's actually preparation for what God is doing in the promised land. It's fire, y'all. Like, I don't mean to re-preach it, but it's that good. Like, that's the kind of stuff pastors would listen to and steal and start a whole new series on somewhere in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's something pastors would do with something like that because it's that phenomenal. It's that good. And so I have the privilege of speaking to you today about what it means to fully surrender to God. And in this moment of transition, that now we've been following Moses, but really it's about the Israelites. And God is now about to transition things from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua is about to take the Israelites into the promised land. And we come to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Where God is now beginning to, through Moses, review the covenant. Hey guys, I know you've been in the wilderness, but this was the covenant I gave you before. Hey guys, I know you've been in the wilderness, but I'm going to give you a challenge and a call to return to the Lord. Hey guys, I know you've been in the wilderness, and I know you've gone through some things, but today you've got to, you have the choice of life and death. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning with verse 10, it's going to be on the screens around me, and it's also going to be on your phones or in your Bibles if you bring the word of God with you, not just in your heart, but like literally with you. Beginning with chapter 10, it says, the Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, this command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea. And thank God y'all are by the sea, so you get this. It is not beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster for I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands decrees regulations by walking in his ways if you do this you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy Jesus I give you thanks for this privilege and this opportunity I pray that within each of our hearts and our minds, you give us the same opportunity to choose life or death, blessing or curses. But Jesus, I pray in advance that every heart will be softened to choose life and blessings and to chase after you with everything that we are. That in the, in the middle of our wilderness, whatever that might be, before we go into our relative promised land, I pray you soften our hearts, open our minds to receive your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. 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 Y'all may have a seat. I know y'all thought I was about to preach like that the whole time. You're like, I don't know if I can take this. I'm going to pass out for you, Mr. Mattis. I'm going to pass out for you. The title of today's sermon is Before You Go. I feel like throughout the Deuteronomy passage, God was telling Moses, hey, listen, before you go on and pass this to Joshua, like God was telling Joshua, before you go on and assume leadership, and like God was telling the Israelites, before you go out of the wilderness, you need to make a decision because you've been through some things in life. And before you go into the dream or the reality of the dream that God has been stirring in your heart, I've got some things that you need to keep in mind. Some things that I hope you've learned before you go. Say, before you go. Before you go go into the promised land, God might have some things for us. As I was studying this passage and looking it over, it actually reminded me of a New Testament passage that sounds awfully familiar to what the Israelites were experiencing, but in the New Testament revelation through Jesus Christ. And many of you probably know this story. It is in three of the four Gospels, and there are various accounts. Many historical scholars would use this, in addition to the crucifixion, as starting points for the existence, the historical existence and uh, um, the, the relevance of Jesus Christ. And so they would start here in order to prove it. And, and so that story is the baptism of Jesus and then Jesus going into the wilderness. And I wanted to share this with you to see if perhaps there are some things that we might understand and process in the midst of our wilderness as Israelites prior to the promised land that might be reflected through Jesus. And so we find this passage in Matthew chapter 3. It's also in Luke. It's also in Mark. But in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Jesus is having a conversation with John the Baptist, adequately named, and asks him, says, I, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 no. And Jesus is like, oh, yes, oh, yes. And so then Jesus was baptized. In verse 16, after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Luke account says in like bodily form, like you could literally see the Spirit of God descending from above and setting on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son. Other translations or other accounts say my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Now, within these accounts, there are some nuances that I thought were different or unique and special. In the Luke and the Matthews account, there are two different nuances that I thought were interesting, and they refer to whom heard what. So in this particular account, Matthew accounts this as God speaking to the people who were around saying, everyone listen up, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But in the Luke account, everybody hears God speaking directly to Jesus saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that might seem relatively insignificant, but I thought it was important. Biblically, perhaps it's a stretch, but what if We're created in God's image, and all things that were created were created through Christ. What if since we were created in God's image, and since everything that was created was created through Christ, then could we at least hear an echo of this statement for you to hold on to and believe as well? That perhaps the nuances between God speaking about Jesus, that this is my beloved son, and God speaking to Jesus, you are my beloved son, is an opportunity for us to recognize both the supremacy of Christ 
as well as the special calling of God upon all of us as children of God. That in the same story, in two different accounts, God is speaking to everyone saying, this is my son. He is the supreme. And that the same story in another account is saying, this, you are my son. This is my son. It is us recognizing the supremacy of Christ, but also an echo of wisdom and understanding that we too, having been created through Christ, are God's beloved children in whom God is well pleased. Some of us need a reminder of that when we're in the wilderness. Some of us need to remember that we too were created in God's image at one time, and we may have messed that image up, but I was originally created in the image of God, that God knit me together in my mother's womb, that God formed and fitted me for a purpose and a calling and a dream, and some of us have forgotten that. And in this story, prior, as many of us know, to Jesus going into the wilderness... He affirms the identity of whom he is. Is there a truth we can hold on to in this season of dreaming, even if in the wilderness, that you are a beloved child of God, you are created in the image of God, there is an unmistakable love for you from our creator in whom God is brought joy and pleased. And I want you to hear the nuance. This is not something new, but it's something worth repeating if you've heard it before. Maybe it's a revelation if you haven't. God is pleased in who you are before what you do. What you will do in the promised land is important, but not before recognizing the value in whom you are in the wilderness before you've gone anywhere else. Your dream is not just what you do, it's who you are. Your identity of whom God called you to be must precede, must come before what God has called you to do. So if your dreaming has everything to do with what you've wanted to do, let's reconfigure the perspective and say before the dream of what God's called me to do, who has God called me to be? God can only do so much with what you do, but he can do exponentially more with the full surrender of who you are. So before you go anywhere else, before you go into the wilderness, before you take another step in the wilderness, before you run out of the wilderness, before you go, you need to give permission. You need to have permission to go into the next season as a new person. Jesus received this confirmation before his ministry even began. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This was right at the turning of age of ministry. Some say 29 and a half, 30 years old. Right before he's done any miracles. He received this revelation before he had done any physical act of a miracle. This confirmation of his identity, of who he is. But it was also before he went into the wilderness that he received this. So then right after, in Matthew chapter 4, begin the temptations of Jesus. And there's some things that I want you to know, the wild temptations that you might need to be aware of. Verse 4 says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Moses led the Israelites into the desert. It was a move of God, right? That there was purpose in the desert, that there was purpose before the promised land to be tempted there by the devil. What? The Spirit of God let Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. And if you're anything like me, after four hours, he became very hungry. 
The Spirit sent them. Sometimes we think it's the enemy in our flesh that sends us into the wilderness. Sometimes religion will tell you the reason you're in the wilderness is because you didn't follow God the right way. And sometimes there's truth to that. But sometimes there's an act and move of God that permitted you to go into the wilderness in order to see the temptation because the preparation that you needed in the desert was required before the ministry you're about to begin. So let's not always blame the devil. The devil gets too much credit. Sometimes the spirit might be leading you into a season of wilderness with purpose and passion, with intention. So he led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And after 40 days of fasting, when one would consider self physically weak, but spiritually strengthened, verse three, during the time, that time the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Wild temptation number one, the enemy when you're in the wilderness will tempt you with wants. The physical needs of your life that you think, the physical needs versus the physical wants. And sometimes it'll be a combination of both. I mean, if the devil had come at me in the wilderness on hour number four and said, turn these stones into a tortilla, I'd have been done. Like bread, maybe. I'm watching the carbs of tortillas. I'm a sucker for tortillas. That's my kryptonite. That's my kryptonite, man. You put me in a tortilla, I'm done. Tortilla, you know what? I'm done. If it had done that, like, you're right. I pray to Jesus, your grace covers me. We abuse that grace so quick sometimes. Blessing was coming in hour five, and you messed it up because of a tortilla in hour four. Wanted to, 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 to entice Jesus with a physical need and perhaps a physical want. But Jesus responds to this physical need with a spiritual feed from Scripture. Saying that the only feed I really need is the Word of God. That sustains me. I don't need anything else. And remember, this is after 40 days of fasting. The enemy will approach you and appeal to your flesh. Jesus here shows us an example that when we're in the wilderness, we need to respond in the faith. So what the, attempt, the enemy attempts to attract you with the flesh, we need to respond with a faith even in the wilderness. Listen to me. Be careful not to overfeed the flesh and underfeed the soul in the wilderness. Even in comfort, even when we don't feel like we're in the wilderness, we are more than likely to overfeed the flesh with our eyes and our ears and our mouths and everything else but underfeed the soul of our heart with disciplines like prayer and fasting and getting plugged into a local church community. And we need to be cautious in this wild temptation of wants, say wants, that we don't overfeed the flesh and underfeed the soul. We don't live by what we consume with our mouths, but by the words that come from the mouth of the one whom should consume us. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a foot, your foot on a stone. He was quoting Psalm 91. Check this, that's the devil quoting Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. And Jesus responds, the scriptures also say devil. 
I feel like he'd probably have a little T.D. Jakes in him, you know, like, get ready, get ready. The scriptures also say devil. I'm sweating like T.D. Jakes right now. You must not test the Lord your God. And he quotes Deuteronomy once again, chapter 6 this time. While temptation number two, the enemy will tempt you with words. Say words. So while temptation number one is wants, while temptation number two, the enemy will tempt you with words. And the devil even twists the truth into temptation. This wasn't an overt, obvious lie. I mean, he quoted the word of God. Therefore, it was not a lie. And many of us who have grown up in the church, we can at least resist the overt, obvious lies. Right? Like, we know, like, devil, you ain't going to trip me up. Like, please, delete, swipe. I don't know which way you swipe. If I swipe the wrong way, I promise. I'm not about, anyway. <laughs> and the enemy, we think with those overt ones, but those of us, who might have been engaged in church for any period of time, the enemy now wants to use our wants in the wilderness and then use our words or the word of God in the wilderness in a way that can take what we've learned and heard and twist it to cause us to fall. The enemy can make you think that because you've claimed to profess Christ as Savior, whether it's by tradition or even a real sincere way, that you don't need to have a real faith. The enemy will twist the laws of tradition to make you think that that's the standard and that anything else that falls short is nothing that is not related to Jesus. He will take an old school tradition and a law and appeal it to you saying the Psalms say this, the Old Testament says this, you should dress this way, you should act this way, you should look this way and be so consumed with a physical appearance but fail to see the revelation of the living word in light of the written word. And so the enemy in any season of wilderness will attempt us to, to tempt us with the word of God and cause us to think that we have to act and look and only certain people can be on the stage and they have to wear certain things and have no revelation of the freedom of a Christ who came not to abolish the law but so that the law might be fulfilled in a new way. Thanks, brother. You may know the word but not the living word. And the enemy tempted the son who was the living word with the word. And if the enemy did that to Jesus, what makes us think that in your wilderness, metaphorical or otherwise, that he's not going to do that for you? We must intimately know the word and the living word. Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus, once again, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, while temptation number one was want, say wants. While temptation number two was words, say words. While temptation number three is worship. What you worship determines how you see and when you've been living in the wilderness, and even if you've been attempting to consecrate yourself through a season of fasting in the midst of your wilderness, or you're wilding out in the wild, the enemy might come and cause you to want to worship something that's not Jesus. He might want to, you to worship a mirage and not the Messiah. A mirage of what looks to be good and holy and like living word, like the living water, and the actual Messiah. And we've got to be on guard to see what exactly the enemy is causing us to try to worship. The enemy will convince you to worship things that distract you from worshiping our true Lord. 
Perhaps it's a temptation to want everything, therefore causing us to worship anything except the only one worthy of our worship. And in this day and age, when everything is wanting us to put an idol of life in their lives and to worship all of these idols, it's so easy to want everything, to see everything that everyone else has, and then therefore to want to worship anything that comes across our eyes or across our screen. One of the most significant ones, is, it's a blessing and a burden, One I teach the students this all the time, is technology. Technology can be incredibly used and wonderfully used for the advancement and the glory of Jesus Christ, but it can also be a trap. So in teaching my seniors, we teach them Christian worldview and how to process the world in light of the word of God in a real way. And we teach them other worldviews. And some of the things that we talk about are things um, like marriage and, and sexual identity and technology and the beauty and the burden of technology. And so I had them do a little assignment. And for one week, I wanted them to log all of their technology hours. This is 40 students, but only 36 of them did the assignment. The other four failed. I'm just kidding. They didn't actually fail my course. I mean, isn't that bad if you failed Bible? Like, you probably feel like you fail life if you fail my Bible class. It'd be terrible. It didn't happen. But in one week, 36 students logged 1,649 hours of technology. You might think how that's possible. Well, they got Spotify on, on the radio. They got YouTube and Netflix on the TV. They're using their computer. They've got their phone and they got their iPad out. And all of these things running at once, they ran the, the numbers, 1,649 um, hours. But I don't think they're alone. Many of us in that app that came up, the screen time app, you kind of see, oh, my goodness, I've been up 10%, wasting my life away. Technology. Maybe we're worshiping that because we're more likely to turn to the iPhone than we are to God. And what's interesting about the iPhone? Usually when we hold the iPhone, what's the position we take? When we're trying to pray, what's the position we take? You're bowing our head to the iPhone more often than we're bowing our head in worship? We might have a problem. We might be worshiping that phone every time we bow rather than saying a prayer every time we bow. What are we worshiping in the wilderness inadvertently? Maybe it's social media. I feel like that's a cliche, but it's still real. Maybe it's our image or the image of others. Maybe it's the type of music that we're pumping into our ears. Maybe it's our pride, even if it's a lack thereof. Because even in pride, pride thinking too much of ourselves is arrogance. Thinking too little of ourselves is insecurity. But the common denominator between both extremes is that the main person you're thinking about is yourself. And so many of us think, oh, I don't have a problem. I'm way too insecure to think I have a pride issue. But every time you look in the mirror and every time you check yourself, you're checking yourself. And you're wrecking yourself. I'm sorry. That was so silly. That was so silly. It was one of those preacher things, man, getting back in this. Like, Whoa, where did that come from? One of those preacherisms. But maybe the thing that we're worshiping is ourselves, even if it's an insecure image of ourselves. What are you going to worship in the wilderness? In whatever season you're in right now, can you ask God, God, what, what's taking the place in my heart? What's taking your place in my heart right now? And I really believe God will begin to reveal it to you. I'm in the wilderness, God, metaphorical or otherwise, and in this season, what am I worshiping? Maybe it's physical. Maybe your job feels like a wilderness. Maybe your own home feels like a wilderness. Maybe your neighborhood feels like a wilderness. And it's a literal, 
physical wilderness of a season that you've been in, what have I been worshiping that I need to, to, to recalibrate before you do anything else in my life, God? Maybe it's a mental and emotional place of wilderness. And there's an insecurity and a depression that's been plaguing your life. And in this season, perhaps the reason it exists is because you've been worshiping the wrong things. You forgot that before you even went into the wilderness, God called you a beloved child. And said that he's pleased with you. Maybe it's a spiritual wilderness and you've been searching for a place to find a real connection and encounter with Jesus Christ. But you've been in a spiritual wilderness of doubt, whether it be because of tradition or church or finding the right fit. And God is like the faithfulness of your being here or even the faithfulness of those who are hearing this a week, two weeks, a year later on the podcast. God's speaking to you in a real way. What are you worshiping in, even in the midst of your doubt? I'm right there. Worship me. Worship me. It's so important that we see that the last word Jesus hears before going into the wilderness was a declaration of who he was in being loved and who you are. Recognizing the true audience is the one speaking your identity over you. Verse 11. Then the devil went away. Say, praise God. The devil went away. In the Luke translation, though, I got it in the Luke account, it says the devil went away until an opportune time. Just because you defeated the devil in one wilderness doesn't mean he's coming after you in the next. And that's not a true reality that many pastors want to say, oh, you'll get out of the wilderness and life is going to be butterflies and rainbows. You're going to be running in the promised land forever. And you get this false dream and all of a sudden you're in there and you're like, wait a minute. How did I end up in this? wilderness. What do they say? A whole new level? A whole new devil? The devil comes at another opportune time. We've got to be on guard with these wild temptations. But the angels came and ministered to Jesus. And if I've got to go through the wilderness and overcome some temptations just so that I can get an encounter with an angel to minister to my heart once again, I'll take the wilderness because I just want a touch of God's glory and God's angels. Before you go into the promised land, Israelites, Jesus, before you go into the ministry, there are some things that I thought might be helpful for us before we go face some giants next week. You know what I'm saying? There are some things that I believe God might want us to hear. Before you go in this Dream Again series, before you go, you got to wake up. Say, wake up. Before you go, you got to wake up. I don't know if you've heard this, and, and I pulled this from this great theological source called Wikipedia. I think it's slightly more credible than um, the Urban Dictionary, Pastor Josh. And uh, there's this thing called REM sleep. It's rapid eye movement sleep. Some of you may have heard that before. It is a unique phase of sleep in mammals and birds, distinguishable by random rapid movement of the eyes, accompanied with low muscle tone throughout the body and prosperity of sleeper to dream vividly. What? Okay, let me, let me REM sleep is a para, is paradoxical because what it does is, is, is it, 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 it mimics the similarities to wakefulness. That when you're sleeping and you are in REM sleep, it actually mimics being awake. Although the body is paralyzed, the brain acts somewhat awake with cerebral neurons firing with the same overall intensity as in wakefulness. 
By one estimate, 80% of dreams occur during REM. Waking up sleepers during an REM phase is a common experimental method for obtaining dream reports. So if you want to know your dream, you've got to wake up in the middle of your most deep sleep. If you want to, if you want to recount your dream, you've got to wake up in REM. And so it's a method for, uh, for attaining these 80% of neurotypical people can give some kind of dream report under these circumstances. Sleepers awakened from REM tend to give longer, more narrative descriptions of the dreams they were experiencing and to estimate their duration of their dreams as longer. If you want to remember your dreams and if you want to be able to account your dreams and to feel like they were longer so you can dream further, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. In order to dream, you've got to rest. But in order to dream to become a reality, in order for your dream to become a reality, you've got to wake up. Say, wake up. No, literally say, wake up to your neighbor. I think one of them's sleeping. I'm just, man, watch out. You're probably looking at them like, how can you sleep through this? Did you not get any sleep? This guy is way too loud and way too passionate. Some of us, some of us need a little more than Jesus to wake up though. I mean, no, well, I'm not trying to like convict anyone I mean, y'all have some incredible coffee. Araceli, Julie, man, like the hospitality team, can we give God praise? Like, I don't think I've ever been to a church that offers French press coffee. Like, Pastor Josh, like, man, you like literally have the best church coffee in the city, the state, dare I say. Like, for real. Right? Like, tell me how many of you know this, though, and you're probably going to hate this song because of the brand. Like, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your God. No, I'm supposed to use that Folgers word in this house. I know, I know, I know. Right? But we, we sing that, right? And we, we've heard that song. But man, the best part of waking up is not Folgers. It's the Father in my cup. That's what I'm talking about. You know, some of you wake up and you don't thank Jehovah Jireh. You're looking for Jehovah Java. Oh, I'm keeping it too real, Pastor Josh. I'm so sorry, brother. I'm so sorry. Some of us are worried about that pour over. You need God's love to pour over your life. That's the pour over you're looking for. Man, you, you worried about that French press. I'm looking at that faith press. You know what I'm saying? I let that faith press. And if you're going to drink coffee, this is biblical. You need to drink it either hot or cold brew, not lukewarm. That stuff gets spit out. You got to drink it hot or warm. Even in the process of making coffee, like the beans themselves are only good until they're crushed and broken and until they're brewed. Otherwise, they're just a bean. Might it be applicable for us that our grinding releases the anointing? That the grinding of coffee beans releases its anointing and the grinding of our souls releases ours? Like, man, maybe I've taken this too far, right? Like, whoa, bring it back. Maybe you did have a little too much coffee this morning. Whoa. People are like, man, I'm going to go to that church just for the coffee. I listen to this podcast and that guy is wired. <laughs> wired. You've got to wake up. But after you wake up, you got to walk it out. Otherwise, a dream remains a dream unless you wake up to make it a reality. So everyone repeat after me. Say, before you go, wake up. Before you go, you got to walk it out. God spoke in dreams. There are two different Josephs, and I'll just give you the recap. There's one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And the one in the Old Testament you've heard about um, in previous um, sermons from this series. It was Joseph. He got this beautiful coat because it was his dad's favorite child. And he had this dream that everyone else was going to submit to him. And he told that dream so early that his brothers hated him because not only did he have a dream that everyone was going to bow down to him, but he got this nice little jacket. 
You know, it's like, oh, look at me. Right? And so, so then the brothers are like hating on him. And so they sell him into slavery. He gets sold into slavery. And that leads him into a position of leadership. At some point, God ends up using it. He walks out the reality of his dream. He doesn't know where it's going. And many years later, he not only gets sold into slavery, he gets put into a position of leadership. And then he gets framed for something. And he goes into prison. And then all of a sudden, he tells some dreams to some inmates there. And one of them finally remembers later. And next thing you know, he's sitting next to Pharaoh, interpreting a new Pharaoh's dreams. This is not the same Pharaoh from before. Some of the Pharaoh, he's interpreting the same Pharaoh's dreams. And, and all of a sudden, he's teaching this, this new Pharaoh those dreams. And he says, man, you've got some wisdom. And he puts him into positions of leadership. And he's walking out this reality. But if he had not walked it out, when his brothers came to visit him in a severe famine, the same brothers that sold him out, they were given land and a place to live, essentially. One could argue that this saved their lives from dying, and now the 12 tribes of Israel, the legacy of our Israelite nation was saved because Joseph got up and walked the dream out. And in Genesis, it says that what the enemy, or what God, what the enemy intended for harm, God intended a good for, for good, but he had to walk it out. There's another Joseph in the New Testament who was betrothed to a woman who had this supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit and an encounter with an angel named Gabriel who was told that you are going to birth the son of God. And Gabriel, or, or, and then Joseph comes up on that and he's like, what? And he's like, let me sleep on this. At least he slept on it. Thank God for that. So he slept on it and Gabriel didn't speak to him in person. Gabriel spoke to Joseph from Mary in a dream. It was in a dream that Joseph of the New Testament the one who helped raise Jesus Christ received that revelation in the dream. Now, Joseph could have woken up and said, Whew, what a nightmare. I'm out this piece. That's crazy. But instead, he woke up and said, I received this as, as revelation. I'm going to walk it out. Here's what I want you to catch in both of these stories. For your dream, those dreams weren't just for themselves. The dreams that Joseph had had nothing to do with everyone else bowing to him. It had everything to do with positioning Joseph eventually for the Israelite story. And what Joseph and Mary had done, what the Joseph from Joseph and Mary had done wasn't just for Joseph. It was for Jesus, and Jesus was for all of us. A dream is more about, you, is more about the people around you than you sometimes. And we've got to remember this, that a God dream isn't just for you. Too many people are in need of your part of the dream, but you've got to wake up and get to work. Be a part of the dream team. Today is a prime opportunity to get plugged in that whatever dream God is stirring in your heart and in your life in this season of wilderness, maybe before you walk into the promised land, God is calling you right now to wake you up. And God is telling you today to walk it out. That's the fourth part of the mission to go out and make a difference. Maybe today is your day to start walking it out. Before you go, say, before you go, worship God. Isn't it so funny that the final temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and now here we are with an opportunity, before you go, God in Deuteronomy is telling them, you can worship me with all your heart and all your soul and obey my decrees and commands, or you can worship other idols and you will either find blessings or you will find curses, but at least you have a choice. That even in the midst of your wilderness, before the promised land, you have a choice of whom you're going to worship. And you can blame your circumstances and you can blame your wilderness. 
Or you can just turn all of that to God and say, God, even if I don't ever, even if I die in the wilderness, like the older generation of the Israelites who actually ended up having to die, even like Moses and like Aaron, who got to see the promised land but didn't get to go into it. It's a tough reality. It's really a tough pill to swallow to see the promised land. Fathers who had hoped to have a promised land for themselves but are happy enough to see it lived out in the next generation of their children. Fathers who pass away and mothers who pass away still praying for their own promised land, but believing the promised land of their children is a greater sacrifice. And even if I die in the wilderness, God, I'm going to worship you. Even if my dream was not for myself, but for my kids, and the reality of what I had hoped does look nothing like I wished it would have, but the reality of the promised land for my kids, for the next generation, God, that's enough, and I will stand on this mountain, and I will worship you, and I will impart it to the next generation and believe that they will inherit the promised land, and we will celebrate in eternity at some point in the future. Joshua. In chapter 3, verse 5, the transition has happened from Moses to Joshua, and Joshua is preparing himself and the people to finally cross into the promised land from the wilderness. We're so close. And he says this in verse 5. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart as holy Give all of your reverence and your adoration. Repent from your sins. Cleanse yourself. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. And I wonder if today you're looking for that dream and you're in the wilderness and metaphorically speaking, whenever tomorrow comes, God is telling us today, purify yourself, consecrate yourself, wake up, start to walk it out, but don't ever forget before you go, before you leave this place, like literally before you walk out of here, before you go anywhere else, before I move you in this dream of yours, before you go anywhere else, will you worship me? Will you choose me? Will you turn your heart and begin to follow my will and my way and my commands, not out of a strict obedience of the law, but because of my son, Jesus Christ, who loves you and knows that God's best for you is through him? Church, will you stand with me as an act and an opportunity of worship, of obedience, just to stand and in the midst of our wilderness, in the midst of this season, in the midst of your temptations, as your dream may be on the horizon and the promised land might be on the horizon, maybe for just a moment, God wants to see your heart worship in complete reverence and adoration of who he is and whom you are because of who he is. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.